everyone, and welcome back to another episode of For the Love of Dharma. I am your host, Heather Love. I hope you are having a wonderful start to your week. The sun is finally out here today, and it has made me feel so good. It's amazing what some vitamin D does to your mood and motivation. I had the honor of hosting an in-person workshop last week, and I had so much fun. We talked about mindfulness and the importance of living in the present moment. I took the attendees through my favorite way to stop anxiety in its tracks, and it was such a beautiful way to connect with people. It's something I'm working on to see if I can bring it virtual so that I can share these practices with even more humans. We spend so much of our time reliving the past or worrying about the future that we forget that all we really have is right now. My hope is that people will learn to more fully step into their lives and live for today. And speaking of today, the episode I have for you is such a treat. My guest is human design expert, Pam December. I first heard about human design about three years ago. Since I've always loved personality tests, I knew this was something I wanted to look into. What I found is that it's so much more than just your personality. It's about who you are at your core in this lifetime. It's about your subconscious and how that comes out in your conscious reality. It's truly amazing. It's a topic that people spend years upon years studying, so we just cover the basics today. We will be talking about different areas of the human design chart, so if you don't already have yours, get your birth date, time, and location, and head on over to Pam's website located in the show notes to pull your chart so you can follow along. I'm excited to get started. Let's dive in. Hi, Pam. Welcome to the show. Hi, Heather. So excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you are here. So what I like to do with my guests when we first start is I let them pick either red or blue, and I have a blue book and a red book, and I ask a random question out of the book. So pick red or blue. Blue. Everybody picks blue. <laughs> I don't think I've had anyone pick red yet. <laughs> okay, well, red, red. I switch. Are you sure? I switch. Red. Are you sure. Okay. <laughs> yes. I don't want to. I don't want to sway you. <laughs> Will you dye your hair if it starts turning gray? No. My hair has actually started turning gray, and. I'm very much loving the color as it's, I guess it's kind of disappearing, right? And I really think of my great grandmother. She had this beautiful white, like stark white hair. And I really hope that that's where mine ends up. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. I I do dye my hair. I'm actually a natural blonde, which most people do not know. Uh, but I was in the salon the other day and there was a woman in there, maybe in her, maybe young thirties. And she was saying, I've always wanted white hair. So it can be very, very beautiful. Most definitely. All right. So let's get started. I would love to know what was the personality of young Pam? What did Pam like to do? What did she do for fun? Oh my goodness. Yeah. Little Pam. She was very athletic. She did all the sports and she wanted to be a writer. 
at one point, and then she wanted to be a vet at another point. <laughs> and she always found her own way. She would go against the grain. Like when I decided that I wanted to be in the choir, it wasn't because all of my friends wanted to, it was because I wanted to. When I decided I wanted to join the band and become a band geek, that was all, that was all me. It wasn't, yeah, following the crowd. And that's one of the things that my mom has brought up a lot of the time is just how independent I was or always have been in just following my own path. What an amazing gift, because I think, especially when we're young, we are very easily influenced by those around us. And to be able to say, nope, I'm not doing what everyone else is doing. And I'm thinking outside of the box, like, good for you. Thank you. And there, yeah, again, I went with the red book because everybody's doing blue and it's not, (laughs) it's a bit of a rebelliousness, but it's also wanting to explore something new. I love that. So what did little Pam want to be when she grew up? Yeah, for a long time, I did want to be a children's book author. And that's something that I've been playing with. It's still in the back of my mind, especially when it comes to human design, which we'll get more into, I'm sure, uh, and making that accessible to parents and children. Um, And then, yeah, the other part of my life, I wanted to be a veterinarian because I've always loved animals so much, but it turns out that I'm allergic to a lot of them. Wow. That's a bummer. (laughs) I also love animals. And I think there was a time I wanted to be a vet when I was a child. And then I realized that animals don't live forever. And sometimes the vets have to be the one to help them cross over. And I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah. It's sad when, when we have to deal with those things, but it is part of the circle of life. But to not, yeah, have to witness it on a regular basis, especially for us empaths. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So maybe your your children's book could include some animals since you're allergic to some of them. You can include the ones that you're not allowed to actually be around without sneezing. <laughs> I love that idea. Thank you. <laughs> so what kind of got you to where you are now? So I know you as a human design expert, but kind of, obviously there's been a little time between wanting to become a vet and where we are now. So just give me a a brief synopsis of how we got to today. Ooh, this is a a good question. And how to summarize. So like most people like entered the job force and uh, I did some traveling and that too, while I was younger. And then yeah, in relationships, got married, divorced, had a child, all these things. And in that journey, trying to provide in the best way possible uh, for my daughter, entered into a more hectic corporate kind of environment and ended up finding myself very stuck and unhappy, unsatisfied, and not knowing how to get out of it and still be available to provide for myself and my daughter. And so, yeah, I ended up leaving corporate in 2017 without a plan. I thankfully had the privilege of having the job that did provide. So I had savings in that. So 
I had that foundation, but really yeah, not knowing what I was going to do or, but knowing that there was something more and that I really needed to do something that filled me up versus drained me. And I can't believe how, how parallel our lives are. Like, it's amazing as I'm listening to you talk, I'm like, oh my goodness, I, I see myself in you so much. So, okay. So you leave your job and then what happens? Yeah, we ended up like I took a probably uh, six months, eight months off and we did some traveling and, and things like that. And then when I was ready to get back into some kind of routine, just really opened myself up to what was possible. And I ended up finding this whole online world of coaching and mentoring and invested in my first program to build a career of my own and my own business. And through this online community ended up coming across a coach that used human design in her business. And when I signed on with her, that was part of it was diving into my own design. And I just completely fell in love with human design and have been living it and learning it ever since. And now sharing it with other people. That is amazing. So for my listeners who may not be, um, familiar with human design. Do you want to just give us a little synopsis of what that is, where it came from, how long ago it started so that people have a base understanding? Yeah. So human design is a system that was brought into existence by Ra Uruhu back in 1987. It was a, or it is a combination of uh, Eastern Western astrology, the Kabbalah, the I Ching, the chakra system and quantum physics. So all of these different modalities brought together into one system that is based on your birth time date and place, much like astrology. So when you take this information and put it into, for example, I have a a chart that you can get off of my website, you get your human design blueprint or your body graph chart. And this just shows you how, what energies you naturally have and emanate, as well as how to interact with the people, places, and things that you come in contact with throughout your day-to-day. And I will definitely link to all your goodies in, in the show notes. You have so many good things, but yes, you can definitely get your human design chart on there. And it's so fascinating to see. So I think probably the place to start is the, there's five different personality types or is it called personality or profile? Energy types. Energy types. Thank you. So there's five. Is that correct? Yeah. So we have uh, generators and manifesting generators, which is a subtype of a generator. We have uh, manifestors, projectors, and reflectors. And do you want to give just a little bit about each one? Yeah. So each one, they have have different aura type. So like the generators have like this big enveloping aura that just gives everybody a big hug and brings their energy in. Part of human design is showing you how to make decisions based on your body consciousness versus from the mind. So a generator is going to respond to anything that comes into their aura And especially like yes or no questions, because there's this actual body response of an uh uh-huh or uh uh-uh or something like vibrational within the body that says, yes, this is what I want to go for, 
or you have this complete dropout of energy where it just feels super heavy and like, no, it's not for me. <laughs> That's amazing. I have never heard it explained in that way. It's really beautiful to think about and how they can use their body to give them the answers that they're seeking. Yeah. So every type, what's beautiful is, yeah, each type has a different way of moving through the world, a different way that their auras interact with other people. There's always this layer of waiting, uh, except for manifestors. So projectors waiting to be recognized before offering their guidance, because they are really here to provide their knowledge and guidance to everybody. And then reflectors having to wait an entire lunar cycle to go through all of the different energies before making major decisions as well. And how much of the population would the breakdown be for each? Yeah, the last statistics, I guess, that I've seen on this is like one to 2% of people are reflectors. You have about seven, eight percent that are manifestors, 20% that are projectors, and then 70% make up the generator and manifesting generator types. Okay. And what is the difference between a generator and a manifesting generator? Yeah. So the manifesting generator, we have there's four motors within the human design, and the manifesting generator has a motor connected to the throat center or the throat chakra. So they are able to manifest much quicker than say a generator type because they have that direct connection to the throat. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So I did look up, I've, I looked up my own as well as my two daughters to see which energy types we were. And so I am a manifester. My oldest daughter is a, my oldest daughter is a manifesting generator and my youngest daughter is a projector. So we have all kinds of things happening in this house. (laughs) (laughs) One of the things that I learned when I very first started studying human design, and I don't know much, I think I told you I know enough to be dangerous and that's about it. But what I found fascinating is my oldest daughter, from the time she was two years old, she stopped napping. And, you know, I had all these friends and their kids napped till they were five, six, seven years old. And she has not napped since she was two. And I learned that she needs to kind of get it all out before she can sleep. And even to this day, and she's 15 now, she can't go to sleep at night until she's thought all the thoughts, done all the things until she's like a clear channel, then she can go to sleep. And that was so eye-opening for me. My daughter's a manifesting generator as well. And even as a generator, trying to keep up with the amount of energy that she has, has been interesting. <laughs> but yeah, what a great thing to know about your children though, because projector versus a manifesting generator, yeah, the energy differences are going to be so great. Uh, the projector, and then you being a manifester, neither of you having sacral energy much more, yeah, go to bed early or have naps and those kinds of things because you need more rest. Absolutely. And I love knowing that I'm a manifester because I just tell people that's why I need to nap so much. (laughs) But the truth is I really just love naps, but they do also energize me. If I can get a good 20, 30 minute nap in, I am like lightning on fire after that. 
Those 20 minute naps are magic. They really are. So the way I always think about them, and and again, this may or may not be correct, but I think of generators as the doers. Like they're the ones who are really who are the the worker bees in you know corporate America. They're the ones who are out there getting shit done. And then the manifesting generators are the ones that I always feel like are changing their mind. I don't know if that's right, but I'm like, yeah, they're the ones that like to go out and have an idea and they start something and they try it. And then they decide, no, I don't like that. And they go change and they do something else. So that's the other way that I kind of decipher between the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause as generators, the energy is longer sustaining where And part of the process is about entering into something and mastering it. So it's a slower process. It's more methodical where the manifesting generator, they're multi-passionate. They're starters, much like manifestors, they're initiators, but they're not necessarily meant to finish everything that they start. And that's one of the things that I find a lot of manifesting generators carry is this guilt and shame around not finishing all the things. And it's like, if it's not lighting you up, then it's okay to put it aside and possibly never come back to it. And I think that's great advice for everyone always. Anyway, (laughs) you're allowed to shift. (laughs) So important. And then for projectors, I have a lot of coaches because I believe that coaches need coaches and almost all of them are projectors. So I find it really interesting because projectors are the ones that need to sort of have an invite in order to offer up what they their gifts are. And so how do you think projectors can kind of get over that? Like, is there a, a way that they can you know, still wait for the invite, but feel like they're able to provide to other people. I think the beauty with the projector is they'll find a system that they really are in love with and they'll dive deep into it. And what they can be doing while they're educating themselves on these systems is sharing that knowledge and love of what they're doing not from this trying to guide or give advice standpoint, but just here I am, this is what I'm doing. And then the correct people will come in and see the magic of of that, recognize the projector and then invite them into opportunities. Mm, That's beautiful. And then for manifestors, which I am, so I've probably spent the most time on that, but again, not nearly enough. It's definitely something I want to spend more time on, but it's another one of those where I've learned I I have the ideas, but I don't necessarily have to be the one to execute them as someone that works for myself. And I'm my only employee right now that makes it challenging, but it's good to know moving forward that, you know, I don't have to do it all, all the time. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think with the power with the manifester too, and part of the manifesting generator is the informing piece of your strategy and authority and understanding that it's it's all about energy. It's not about getting permission to do things or anything like that. It's strictly about energy so that the other types are able to keep up with you because you can move so quickly. I have found the informing piece to be 
so key that, you know, when I'm, whether it's, I'm letting people know what I'm doing and I'm not asking for permission. I'm just like, Hey, this is what's happening. This is what I'm doing. Take it or leave it. It doesn't matter to me. And I also find that I really like it when people inform me of what they're doing and, you know, they might think of it as it's not, it doesn't even cross their mind. They're like, why would I even tell somebody that? But to me, it is important. Yes. Yes, exactly. It goes both ways. And there's this whole thing coming up that I'm hearing a lot more of and feeling into is around consent and using our voices more in like specific ways of asking for consent consent, or just in like the informing piece of this is what I'm doing. It just energetically, it just feels better for everybody. And I think the way that we've evolved, I'm, I'm feeling like this is conditioning from when we were seven centered beings and maybe that informing piece wasn't so important or just wasn't recognized as being valuable to the individual. And we're coming out of that now. And so, yeah, it just feels better to just say, say the things and allow people to have their responses. And there's just so much more integrity in that. Definitely. Definitely. So you mentioned the seven centers. So there are currently nine. Is that correct? So what what are the two new ones and what how did that come about? Yeah. So in 1781, we're in the midst of this evolutionary process right now, even where the emotional solar plexus is mutating. So 1781 and the prior 80,000 years before that, we were seven centers, which are the traditional chakras. Come 1781, the solar plexus chakra split into two. It split into the splenic center and the emotional solar, solar plexus. And the heart chakra split into two into the identity center and the heart center. I did Make not SI. know that. That's yeah. super cool. So I before we get into the centers, I don't want to leave reflectors out. So I know they're a very small portion of the population, but what, um, kind of what is their thing? I think that if I'm not mistaken, they kind of take on everyone else's stuff. I know you said they need a full lunar cycle to really make big decisions, but is there anything else you can speak to on that? Yeah, they're really the barometers of the communities that they're in. So it's super important for them to surround themselves with people, places, and things that feel really good because that's the energy that they're interacting with. Now, if you're living in a place that doesn't feel good, that's not going to change because your environment is so important. Mm. So when you're looking at your human design chart, there's these nine energy centers and they're either white or they're a color. So do you want to talk about some of the ones that are the most common or that you are your favorite or that have, you have the most to say about? Ooh, <laughs> yeah. So I would say the emotional solar, solar plexus is one of my favorite ones to talk about because I have mine completely open. If you have lines off of 
if you're looking at your chart and you have lines off of it, but it's not colored in, that's undefined. But if it's colored in, then it's defined. So with the emotional solar plexus, it's exactly what it sounds like. It's all about emotional energy. And having this undefined or opened is a marker for being an emotional empath. And I know for myself, that was huge to see that. I knew prior that I was an empath, but then to see this in my body graph chart, I was just like, yes, like confirmation, right? <laughs> Needed something outside of myself, I guess, to, to really grasp that. And so we have 50% of the population that has it defined, 50% that doesn't. And for those that have it defined, what they have is called an emotional wave. Now, it sounds exactly, you think about water and waves, and the motion's going up and down. And they, anybody who has this defined has this built into their strategy and authority that they have to wait out their emotional wave because you do not want to be making decisions from a really high point or a really low point. You want to be at that mid kind of calm energy to be able to discern exactly what is correct for you or not. I have, I am an emotional manifester. So what I have found is if I'm making, especially a big decision, a good 48 hours, but even sometimes 72 hours, because in that time I'm like, yeah, this is a great idea. No. Why did I say yes to this? Oh, I don't want to do this. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited about this. And, you know, and I literally go up and down like that. Like I'm on a roller coaster for two to three days, always. And what a great thing to know about yourself, right? And that's what I recommend to anybody that has this center defined is to like journal it out, track it to see because everybody's wave is different. Some people it's 24 hours, other people it's a week or a month. So just really knowing yourself in that way is so important. So I would love to just talk about the throat center for a moment, because I think that that is so important when we're learning to speak our truth. And so for me, if I remember right, mine is, okay. So for me, mine is colored in. So what does that mean for me? Yeah. So because you are a manifester, you have that connection to your emotional solar plexus that's and that so that's the motor to your throat that gives your voice so much power and the ability to just speak things inform about things and then take action on them um, and you're going to be able to speak about your emotions in a much easier way because you have direct access to the throat in that way so other people will have that center like for the generators, you can have it undefined or defined, but it's not motorized the way it is for a manifesting generator. So there's for the undefined, open and unmotorized throats, there's a lot of needing to, similar to projectors is needing that invitation in order to be heard. And knowing that if you have that square colored in that you're here to help other people have their voices heard by inviting them to speak because that undefined and open throat is so powerful because it's taking in all of the throat energy around them and amplifying that out. 
I had no idea. That is, that's really a beautiful gift to have. Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk about, I might get my terminology wrong. The profile, there's numbers, there's like one through six. And I don't know how many different combinations there are of those six numbers, but let's, if you could run through those real quick. Sure. Yeah. There's 12 combinations of the profile numbers. Now these numbers come from your personality, sun and earth on, and your design sun and earth. So um, for you and I, we're both five ones. So the fifth line being uh, it's called the heretic people with the fifth line live in what's called a projection field. So basically we are the mirror for what other people may need in their lives at that time. And it doesn't mean that it is something that we want to fulfill or anything like that. So it's really learning this discernment about living in the projection field and only stepping into those projections that feel correct for you and leaving the rest. So often you'll find people will have opinions or think that you've done or said something that is completely out of left field in your own lived experience because of this projection. Now, the first line, on the other hand, is called the investigator. And it very much is about learning things and like diving deep into them, figuring out uh, the unknown (laughs) and yeah, just getting that foundation to feel secure in what you're here to bring to the world. I feel like that describes me pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's one and five. So what are the other four? So the, the second line is the hermit. So they also have a projection field, but it's a projection inward. So they don't recognize their own gifts and skills and they need other people to call them out. So you think of the hermit, like being in their little cave and somebody standing out there and, Hey, come out here. You're good at, uh, <laughs> at X, Y, Z. <laughs> and then they're able to, to recognize that and, and respond. The third line, this is one of my favorite ones, is all about uh, experimenting. It is, it's called the martyr. I don't really resonate with that terminology, but it's really going through life through trial and error to figure out what works for that person personally. Um, One of the harder things with this profile is seeing all these other people doing things a certain way. And then they try and replicate that and it doesn't work. And so then there's stories of failure that can revolve around that, but it's really learning your own personal way of doing it. It's going to be outside the box. It's going to be unique. And that's going to be a gift for you to share with other people. Uh, The fourth line is the opportunists. So they are all about their network, their opportunities and things like that are going to come to them through their network. So just building, building their tribe and uh, just having a foundation in that. And then the sixth line is super unique. It has three distinct life phases. So the from zero to 30 or your first Saturn return is much like the third line. It's all about experimenting, bumping into life and just figuring out what does or doesn't work. And then from that Saturn return to the Uranus opposition in the forties 
is the on the roof stage, it's called. And that's really when you're observing how other people are bumping into life. And you're also doing a lot of healing around what you experienced in the third line phase. At your Chiron return in your 50s, the sixth line comes off the roof and is the role model. So that's the key note on the sixth line, the role model. And they are not the same person they were as a third in that third line phase. And they're not the same person that they were on the roof. They're just this new being that is really moving through the world true to themselves. And by that being an example to others. That is so cool. I, I can't wait to go look up all the people that I know that I have their information <laughs> to find out what numbers they are, what their profile is, because I think it's a combination of all these things, right? So it's, it's your energy type, but it's also whether you have defined or undefined centers and the profile, it's kind of, it's like, you know, all these different personality tests that are out there, but it's a lot of them all kind of put together. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So it can be really overwhelming when you first get your chart because there's a lot of colors and shapes and information on it. Really like your strategy and authority are the only things that you need that are best to know because just by following those, all the other layers will just come in naturally without you studying it. But if you're somebody who likes to do the deep dive, there's so many layers to human design. And that's really part of the the learning of the system, the experimenting with the system, because it is a seven-year cycle of deconditioning from all of the our families and friends and businesses and things like that, that we've been surrounded with throughout our lives. And for people who might be interested in diving a little bit deeper, do you offer readings for people where you are able to kind of help them go through their chart and tell them a little bit more about themselves? Yes. Yeah. I do introductory readings that really go through all the centers. And what I'd like to point out to our markers for burnout or anxiety, because there are those in the chart too, uh, as long and as well as being like emotionally or sensitive or highly sensitive, um, those empath traits and stuff too. Uh, and then for those that have already have that basic information, want to go even deeper. I have readings that involve the variables, which are the, some of the charts will show arrows at the top of the the chart and uh, yeah, go into those, which is all about your environment, how you digest life, your view and your motivation. Well, I highly recommend because when you look at your chart, it can be very confusing. There's all these different shapes and there's lines all over and some are colored in and some aren't and it's just it can be a little bit overwhelming. So I definitely recommend people get in touch with you. And again, I'll put all of that in the show notes. So where I'd like to go next is you talked that we're kind of in the middle of this evolution. And I know that there is some talk about 2027, which really isn't that far away. So if you could just talk a little bit about what, what is so special about 2027? It's really interesting because we have this mutation that's happening in the emotional solar plexus. But at the same time, we have this global shift that's happening. So what we have in the global program are called epochs, and they're approximately 411 years long. 
each. And 2027 is when we enter the next epoch. So we're moving from the cross of planning, which has set up like all the systems that we're involved in, healthcare, banking, investment, education, healthcare, like you can think of a system, it was created during these last 400 and some odd years. So come 2027, we move into the cross of the sleeping Phoenix. Now it's not like we're just turning a light switch on. (laughs) What we're seeing now is the turning of the wheel. So there's all this pressure, like with the pandemic, all this pressure on all these systems to either change or break down, or you think of it, we're having a global tower moment and it's will continue after 2027 as well. Right. Because it's, we're talking about global shifts. So the entering the cross of the sleeping Phoenix, there's a lot of talk about what this means. Like we're not going to know for sure until we're in it. Right. And even then, it might be easier to look back on it. Like we are looking back at the cross of planning now, right? Or 400 years into it, you can see it. So what it's being heralded as is the era of the individual because of the, the cross of the sleeping Phoenix is, is an individual um, incarnation cross. So part of what we're experiencing now is this, awakening and individuals looking for inner truth because that's what's really going to serve them post-2027. That makes so much sense. And the way I think about it as you were talking is kind of when a barge or a big ship is trying to turn you know, just because they turn the wheel doesn't mean they make an immediate right-hand turn, right? It's going to take them a little bit of time and it's going to, you know, slowly over time, that's going to happen. So that's kind of how I imagine it as you're speaking about this shift. And it does make so much sense because I do feel like more and more of the world is waking up and they are really out there seeking the truth and not so much just going with the flow and what everyone tells them is the truth. They, they don't necessarily believe that. So yeah, it'll be really interesting because with individuality, like it could go completely narcissistic, right? Or it could be coming from this place of ensuring that everybody is lifted up and everybody receives the care and resources and everything that each person individually deserves for the fact that you're here, you're human, you're on earth. Yeah, it's just, there's so much potential in this. So all of this has been so fascinating. I cannot wait for people to dive into their charts and they're going to be so interested to learn more about themselves and why they are the way they are. And before we go, I would love to know what is probably the most exciting thing with human design that you're either learning about or that you are teaching others about right now? Ooh, See, I'm currently learning about rave cosmology, which goes into angels and demons and ghosts and entities and gods and aliens. And it's been super interesting to see how that's expressed through the chart, how we've been potentially misinterpreting some of the things that have come through and just how much 
we've been conditioned like through religion and how that's kind of changing. I love that. That is amazing. All right. And to wrap up, I have five rapid fire questions for you. So I just want you to answer in the way that first comes to you without thinking about it too much. What is something that makes you laugh? Oh, my daughter, they have an incredible sense of humor when it comes out and I just love it. What is your favorite birthday or holiday memory, either of your own or someone else's? I would say Christmases back when I was seven or eight years old, we used to get together the entire extended family at my grandmother's and it was always full of food and presents and laughter and togetherness. And I really miss that. I love Christmas time. I feel like everyone's just a little bit nicer in the world and there's just a sense of coziness. Mm-hmm. What is the first thing that comes to mind when you hear the word play? Children's laughter. All right. Something you do for fun. A game. A game a lot. It's a way of yeah, disconnecting at times, but it's also a way of connecting with the family that I game with as well. So that's, mm. yeah, something that I- is it. A video game, a board game, what kind of game? Video games, yeah. Mm, What's your favorite? Right now, we've been playing a lot of Don't Starve Together. (laughs) I haven't heard of that. What is that one? It's uh, it's survival-based. You collect resources and craft tools and things like that. But it's in this kind of cartoony kind of world with um, you can't be in the dark or... Charlie will come and get you. Yeah. So it's a little, it's a horror survival, but it's cartoony. And yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We've made it to 20 days of surviving before. <laughs> That's, as That's far as amazing. It. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like something my kids would love. All right. Last question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? Hmm. I think it would be around keep trusting your intuition, keep trusting your body and keep, keep going your own way. That's beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So I will link to everything, but I do want to talk just for a minute. You have your own podcast. So tell us what it's called, where people can find it, what it's about. Yeah. So I've got the mad for purple podcast. You can find it on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google. I think I think that's all the places. <laughs> It'll probably pop up in other places. Um, yeah, and it's all about spirituality and self-actualization. And then I bring in a lot of human design, of course, but also healing. So I bring on guests to talk about their own experiences and modalities and things like that, as well as having solo episodes. It's such a good podcast. Everyone should go listen. Thank you. And on your website, which again, I'll link in the show notes, but you have where people can pull their own design chart and they can do a clearing meditation and you definitely do readings and mentorship and all those good things. So people should definitely check you out. Thank you so much for being here today. This was so amazing. I know there's so much to cover in human design, but this was just sort of a great overview for anyone who wants to dive deeper. So thank you so much for being here. 
Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun. I hope by now you've looked at your chart and learned a little something new about yourself, or maybe it was just validation for you in certain areas of your life. Human design is so fascinating, and I can't wait to keep learning right alongside you. Here are five key takeaways from this episode. Number one, human design was developed by Ra Uruhu in 1987. It's a combination of Eastern and Western astrology, Kabbalah, the I Ching, the chakra system, and quantum physics. Number two, there are five different energy types. Generators and manifesting generators make up about 70% of the population. Projectors make up 20%. Manifestors make up 8 to 9% of the population. And reflectors make up only 1% to 2% of the world. Number three, there are nine energy centers on the human design chart, which are mirrored after the chakras. If they are colored in, you have a defined center, which means that area is more fixed for you. It is a more consistent energy. If they are white, they are called open or undefined. And this is an area where you may be more influenced by something outside of you. You experience more variance here. Number four, there are six different numbers in 12 different combinations that make up your profile. These are calculated by both the personality sun and earth and the design sun and earth. This represents who you think you are, as well as your unconscious design and what you are here to do in this lifetime. Number five, your human design strategy and authority are the best place to start when learning to read your chart. The other more complex layers will add upon those two areas over time. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider sharing it with a friend and then head over to my Instagram at I am Heather Love and tell me which energy type you are. And if you learned anything new, I can't wait to compare notes. Thanks for listening. Have a magical day.